take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Last week we looked at the uh, first couple of verses of Hebrews 11 and we talked about faith. And we're going to continue through Hebrews uh, 11 um, in, in weeks to come. But I want to take a little detour because what our faith does is our faith in God gives us hope even when things around us seem hopeless. And uh, let's be frank, we live in an increasingly chaotic world. We live in an increasingly confusing world. We live in a very violent world. And there's a lot of people who, they, they have no hope. They have no hope. Or their hope is in something that is so bizarre. You know, the aliens are going to come and fix everything. Uh, and you think, do they really believe that? But you wonder what, what other options are there when you leave God out. So we live in a, in a strange place, and so many Christians, I believe, have turned to two responses, neither one of which is sufficient. One is a pessimism, a discouragement. I just don't know. We're just going to have to hold on until Jesus comes. And I believe Jesus is coming, and I believe that the Prince of Peace is the only way to peace in the Middle East and around the world. I believe that. But we serve a God who's a God of hope and not a God of pessimism. I talked with a missionary recently. He had been to many churches uh, recently through the United States. And he said, I, I see so many uh, pastors who are discouraged. I'm not discouraged. I hope you're not discouraged. There's hope for America. There's hope for California. We're going to talk about that today. And the second uh, response that is, that is not sufficient is just this outrage. I'm just so mad. I was running uh, to, to stay in shape. Round is a shape, so I feel like I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and I was running to stay in shape. And, I, you know, those little clouds of gnats that just appear out of nowhere. So I wasn't, frankly, I wasn't paying attention, you know, jogging along, thinking probably about a message, whatever. All of a sudden, I run through this cloud of gnats. And they're in my eyes. You know, you're breathing. They're up your nose. They're in your mouth. Now, it's not a good idea to get mad at the gnats, you know, and stand there and fling your arms, you know. I'm so upset about this. Spit the gnats out, <laughs> blow your nose, and keep running. And I think as Christians, we turn to pessimism, we turn to outrage because we don't know what the answer is. Let me remind you, the Bible has the answers. The Bible even will tell us why we are, are where we are at today. Why is violence increased? Gun violence in the United States, why is it increased? It's not because there are more guns per capita than there were before. Why is it that there is a war in Ukraine or a war in Israel? It's, it's not because we just have to figure out the right, uh, the, the, the right diplomacy and somehow we can make all this go away. The Bible has answers. Why is it that we don't even seem to know what a man and a woman is today? The Bible has answers for all that. But increasingly, people are, again, turning to outrage, turning to pessimism. When I was uh, asking the Lord where, where he wanted me to serve, and uh, my father said to a, a, a preacher, he said, you know, my, my son is looking for a place to serve. This preacher happened to be from Redding, California. And uh, this preacher said to my dad, he said, would he be willing to come to California? As if. There were some preachers who would say, well, no, I don't, I, I, I'm willing to go anywhere but California to serve. 
Now we laugh because we're here in California, but I was talking with a pastor recently about, about a year ago, I'd say recently, about a year ago, and he had extended an invitation to a young man to come and serve in his church uh, on the staff of his church, and the young man said, no, no, I don't want to go to California. Wow. Is that really how we're viewed? Well, before we get to that, let me just tell you that I am excited to be, I'm excited to serve, I'm excited to minister in California, and I want you to be too. Because the gospel of Christ is just as powerful here as anywhere else. And our problem today as Americans, uh, our problem here in California, uh, on the left coast as we call it, Washington, Oregon, wherever you go in the United States, the problem is the same. We have abandoned God. We've abandoned his principles. And the Bible tells us where we will end up when we do that here in Romans chapter 1. So where have we ended up? Let me just give you some examples. And again, pessimism is not the answer. Outrage is not the answer. But here in California, they recently passed a, a, a bill, a law, uh, signed into, into, into law here in California, Governor uh, Newsom, that uh, requires the state prison system to give inmates the opportunity to be imprisoned according to their gender identity. So you can have a prisoner say, you know, I'm a man, and he gets to go to a male prison. But if he says, I'm a woman, then he can go to a female prison. And we say, why in the world would you, would you do that? Well, let me give you another example. This one's from Massachusetts. In Worcester, Massachusetts, they will now give marriage licenses to three people. Not to two people, to three people. Again, pessimism is not the answer. Outrage is not the answer. We need to understand, and I have some more examples, but let me just end with those two. What's happened is Americans who have rejected God have been given over to a reprobate mind. Now, I want you to see this because it helps me remember not to be pessimistic, not to be outraged, because this is what God told us was going to happen. And amazingly, I say amazingly, I'm not really amazed, I hope you're not either, but the truth is God told us this 2,000 years ago. So he's not surprised by where we've ended up. There are four guardrails that we must crash through, so to speak, before we end up in the, in the, in the ditch that is the reprobate mind. And they're listed for us here in Romans chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 14. I'm going to read to you. You follow along as I read out loud. Romans 1.14. Paul starts by saying, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're going to come back to those verses, but let's see where, how we end up with a reprobate mind. And in verse 18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They're not holding on to the truth. They are holding back the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. One of the reasons we're taking this detour is last week we talked about what can we know about God just from his creation. And uh, we won't re-go re over that, but if you missed last week's message, there's so many things we can learn just from creation, 
Just looking out at creation, we can learn about God. Those things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Here's verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they, they knew him. There was that opportunity. When they knew him, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. Made like to corruptible man, to beasts, excuse me, to birds, and four-footed beasts and creeping things, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meet, which was appropriate. Verse 28, and even as they did not, to, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's where we end up, a reprobate mind, a mind that no longer thinks correctly. A mind that comes to bizarre conclusions, irrational conclusions. But there's a couple of guardrails that they've broken through before we get there. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at these four guardrails. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, revealing to us truth, for giving us all that we need to know to serve you. And I know, I know from experience that it can be discouraging when we look at our circumstances, when we look at, at the direction that our society is headed, we can be discouraged. We can wonder what is going on. We can throw our arms up in, in, in outrage and we can bow our heads in pessimism and just shake our heads and Father, you want us to respond in faith. You want us to respond in hope to what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us. So thank you, Father. Thank you for being at work in California, in Elmira, in Vacaville, in Fairfield, in Dixon. Thank you, Lord, for calling us this morning to worship you, to gathering us together and giving us warm fellowship, even in a cold place, giving us warm fellowship and, and enjoying singing your praises. That's of you. We thank you, Father, that you've brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you took our feet out of the miry clay and you've set us on a rock. We're thankful, Lord, that you took us out of the kingdom of the adversary and you've brought us into your kingdom. We're thankful, Lord, that you've adopted us into your family. What a miracle that is. And we ask, Father, that you would open our eyes to the hope and the truth and the, and the faith that is in your word. Help us understand where we are as a society, but also where we should go. There's hope, even in the worst of times. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the first guardrail that they've broken through is that they have denied that God was the creator. That's in verse 20. They denied that God is the creator. We said last week, if you have faith, you're going to have to have faith in something. And if you have faith in God, you must believe that he is. You must believe that he rewards those who seek him. You must believe that he's created everything by his powerful word. And you must believe that he's revealed all that we need to know in the Bible. 
We said those four things last week. Well, they've started with that second or that third one, and they said, no, God, God didn't create everything. Maybe there is a God. Maybe he has some role to play. Maybe he, he manipulates and maybe he directs, but he didn't create everything. And when you abandon that, then it says that God will give you up to something else. And what they did was they exchanged an all-powerful God who loves us, who's sovereign, who's working out a grand plan. It's a bigger plan than just my life, than your life, than our church. A grand plan, a big plan. They've exchanged that for we've got to fix things because there is no God who created everything. The first guardrail they broke through is they denied that God was the creator. The second guardrail they broke through is they replaced God with idols. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image and verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature. They exchanged a, an all-powerful God who's beyond our comprehension, who's beyond our understanding, but who has condescended, who's come down and he's told us everything we need to know about him so we can worship him and we can serve him. They exchanged all that for their own gods. And then they began to ignore the natural order of things. Verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. They began to ignore the natural order of things. Some of you are old enough to remember when people understood what the natural order of things was. You had a man and you had a woman and they, they, they marry each other and they have children and that's a family. And that was really clear to Americans. That's no longer clear to Americans because not only have they rejected God, but they've rejected the natural order of things. They're not just rebelling against God's word. They're literally rebelling against creation. And then the fourth guardrail that they broke through in verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They thought that they could erase all knowledge of God. We don't even need to talk about God. We don't need God in our thinking. We don't need God in our lives. There's nothing that God does for us. He doesn't even exist. And so now they're left with a reprobate mind. And that's why I'm going to call them American elites, people that, that think they know better than God, these folks that have tried to remove God from our knowledge. American elites can no longer define what a family is. They don't know. They can no longer define what a woman is. What is a woman? I, I don't know. It's amazing. Uh, our, our representative, at, well, he's no longer representative. We got redistricted out. But John Garamendi has an annual Woman of the Year award. But if you ask him, what is a woman, he doesn't know. How can you give an award out in a category which you cannot define? Now, I'm not making fun. I'm saying that's what a reprobate mind does. That's why we no longer protect life. We don't protect life in the womb, and we don't protect life at the end. When it's seemingly difficult and painful, just let those people kill themselves, we say. Because we've been given over to a reprobate mind. That's where all this leads. 
Now, I just want to remind you that this whole thinking, this reprobate thinking, is now all through our society. It's not just here in California. Sometimes people say, well, I, you know, I don't like California. I'm just going to move. I'm going to move to Idaho. Guess what? There are reprobates in Idaho, too. Now, maybe they're not as many per capita as in, the, as in California, but guess where the reprobates are moving? They're moving to Idaho. You say, well, I'm going to move to Nevada. I'm going to move to Arizona. I'm going to move to Missouri. I, I, I kiddingly call it misery, the state of misery. But it's Missouri. I'm going to move to Missouri. Guess what? This is like a leaven that maybe starts in one spot, but it's going to spread through the whole loaf. The answer is not to run away. I'm going to tell you what the answer is in a bit, but the reprobates are all through the culture. And what bothers me, it doesn't bother me that the world is worldly. It bothers me when Christians are worldly and we begin to adopt the same thinking as people with reprobate minds and feel like we have to defend it or we, you know, we at least have to compromise with it. We must stand with the truth, the truth of God's word. Amen. It's all through, this reprobate mind is all through our entertainment, whether it's music or movies, or television, or YouTube, or whatever version of YouTube you're watching, everywhere you turn, the, the, the thinking that is the reprobate mind is begin to work its way through like leaven. So you might be scared. Some Christians I meet, they're scared. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let me remind you where we started in Romans chapter 1. If you would look at it with me again, Romans Chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth. The power of the gospel is powerful enough to change individuals, and as it changes individuals, to change the direction of our entire society. You say, well, Paul didn't know about these reprobate-minded peoples. It's in the same chapter. He knew exactly what kind of people he was dealing with. He had seen it there in the Roman Empire. There were wicked people doing evil, despicable things. He understood what was going on. And he said, here's the only hope for these people. It's not religion. He's going to deal with that in verse two, in chapter 2. It's not righteous works. He's going to deal with that in chapter 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can change people's hearts. True story, Mitsuo Fuchida was a Japanese man. He, grew, he was born in Japan. He grew up in Japan about 100 years ago now. And he grew up hating the United States because the United States at that time, early 20th century, early 1900s, treated Asian immigrants very harshly. He joined the uh, uh, Japanese Navy, the Imperial Navy. He attended a, a military academy. He built up his flying hours until with 10,000 hours as a flying uh, pilot, he was one of Japan's top pilots. So he was chosen to be the lead pilot in the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was the uh, Japanese uh, officer, fly, uh, fl uh, pilot who cried, Torah, 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 or Tiger, 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 to, to let the people back at the um, uh, aircraft carriers know, let his superiors know that it was a surprise attack. They had caught the Americans by surprise. 
1945, he had become the Imperial Navy's air operations officer. And on August 6th, he was eating breakfast when he heard that Nagasaki, excuse me, Hiroshima, had been bombed, just totally destroyed. Now, they didn't know at the time it was the world's first atomic bomb. He was one of the Jap Japanese officers who was assigned to go to Hiroshima and see the devastation, and it was just terrible. Now, remember, this man already hates America. Now, it just so happens that at about the same time, there in August of 1945, there was an American POW, Jacob DeShazer. Uh, this DeShazer was an American pilot. He was part of um, Doolittle's Raiders, who had dropped bombs on Tokyo in 1942, but his plane had not made it to China, obviously hadn't made it back to the carrier. That was never the plan. And he went down in uh, enemy-occupied territory, and he was captured. So from 1942 until 1945, he had been in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And the Japanese were not known for treating their prisoners of war kindly. And yet, during his time in camp, DeShazer became a Christian. And he found his heart was softened towards his Japanese captors, and he began to pray for peace. After he was liberated from the POW camp, he wrote a, an essay. I was a prisoner of the Japanese. I was a prisoner of the Japanese. That was the name of his, his essay. That got printed, and it was distributed. And he detailed in that his capture and his imprisonment, which was terrible, but his conversion to Jesus Christ, which gave him hope, and his ability to forgive his Japanese captors. In 1948, DeShazer returned to Japan as a Christian missionary. The same people that had imprisoned him, that had put him through torture, he returned to give them the gospel. And one of the things that happened was his pamphlet, I was a prisoner of the Japanese, was translated into Japanese, and Fuchida, that man I mentioned at the beginning, Fuchida got a copy of his, I was a prisoner of the Japanese, and it turned his heart to Jesus Christ. And Fuchida became a Christian evangelist, spreading that message of peace and forgiveness throughout Japan. Now, what could change a POW's heart so he could forgive his captors? What could change a, a, a man who grew up hating the United States? What could change him so that he could become a Christian missionary? The only thing that could do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read you one of the things that Fuchida said before he died. He said this, That morning, December 7th, the day that will live forever in infamy, I lifted the curtain of warfare by dispatching that cursed order, Torah, 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 and I put my whole effort into the war that followed. But after buying and reading the Bible, my mind was strongly impressed and captivated. I think I can say today without hesitation that God's grace has been set upon me. That's the power of the gospel. That's the, that same powerful gospel that can change people's hearts in 1945 and in 1950 can change people's hearts today. Do you believe that the gospel of Christ is powerful? Do you believe that the gospel of Christ is powerful enough to bring serial philanderers out of their bondage? Do you believe that it's powerful enough to bring idolaters out of their ignorance? To bring adulterers out of their unfaithfulness? Powerful enough to bring homosexuals out of their destructive desires? Powerful enough to keep thieves from stealing? And powerful enough to keep drunkards from drinking? 
Now, I picked those particular sins because they're mentioned for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Here's the powerful message Paul has. You know the type of sin that you lived in in the past. And God has brought you out of that. The gospel is not for good people. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't for conservative, red-blooded Americans. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because first uh, Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The gospel is powerful because it is truth. It's the way God designed it to be. It's powerful because in following that truth, that man is a sinner and God has provided a way for man's salvation, the gospel enables us, it opens a pathway so that we can find our purpose again. We can find hope again. We often overlook the power of the gospel and then we try to substitute something in its place that's powerful. Many Christians even, we've substituted government in the place of God. We think that what we need to do first is somehow wrestle government back from the control of those with reprobate minds. Now, I want you to vote. I want you to be an informed voter. I want you to write your representatives and your senators. Yes, get involved in politics. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to change our nation, not government. And I know some preachers, and I, I, God bless them, but here they are. They're preaching about whether or not Trump won or lost the last election. Listen, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to make a difference. And if you want to talk about the election, let's talk. But not right now. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to make a difference. Sometimes we substitute music for the gospel. We think that what we need, and I'm getting to my, my slide here, what we need is we need the right type of music and we'll bring people out. And yes, music can attract people. I, I don't dispute that. I've seen music attract huge crowds. The problem is when the music goes away, the crowds go away. And music doesn't change people's lives for God's glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives for God's glory. Sometimes we substitute programs for the gospel. And as a pastor, I'm constantly keeping my eye open for different Bible studies, sometimes books or other programs that will aid Elmira Baptist Church in our goals of evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship. Uh, so I'm not against all programs. But if we think it's a particular program that's going to make a difference, we're mistaken. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes... Uh, I hope you've never fallen into this, but we substitute intellect for the gospel. We think that if I'm just smart enough, I can make a difference. No, no. Paul says the gospel is good for the wise and for the unwise. But it's not my intellect. It's not your intellect. It's not somebody else's intellect that's going to change our nation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel rescues us from sin. Why is there an increase in gun violence in the United States? Because there's an increase in man's sinful heart. Right. 
Why is there war in Israel? Why is there war in Ukraine? It comes down to sin. It comes down to arrogance. It comes down to, I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care who gets killed. I don't care who gets beheaded. I'm going to have my way. And the only thing that can change that is the gospel. In Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, I want to read this section to you. The gospel rescues us from sin. Romans 6, 19 through 21. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Death, the reprobate mind leads to death. The reprobate mind leads to war. The reprobate mind leads to murder. The reprobate mind leads to suicide. The reprobate mind leads to Halloween. Just wanted to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> what is the Hall Halloween, the celebration of? The celebration of death. As Christians, we don't celebrate death. We celebrate life. Amen. Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, death is a reality. People die. But Jesus says, if we believe in him, we have eternal life. Let's celebrate that. Why is there an increase in in the macabre, in, 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 in death, in looking at darkness because of the increase in sin in, in our own sinful hearts. But the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from that. And I want to remind you that the gospel, it says, verse 16, is for everyone that believes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone that believes. I don't know about you, but in my own sinful flesh, I can look at people and I can think sometimes, that person isn't going to get saved. They don't look like me. They don't look like the kind of people that I'm friends with. But that doesn't, it doesn't say to everyone that looks like Scott Dean and his friends. It says to everyone that believes. So is the gospel of Jesus Christ powerful enough to change the lives of people who don't vote like us? Yes, amen. And it's a good thing because there's a lot of people in California who don't vote like us. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ powerful enough to change people with tattoos? Matt, raise your arm. Amen. I'm not making fun. I'm saying sometimes we think we're looking for people who look like us and who talk like us. We're not. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone that believes. You say, I've got a, I've got a friend. I've got a family member. They are so sunk down into drugs and debauchery. I don't think they could ever be saved. The Bible says he's able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by Jesus Christ. Don't ever give up hope. Keep praying. But it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's no 12-step program. It's nothing we have here at Elmira separated from Jesus Christ that's going to change their lives. The gospel is for people who don't think like us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for people who don't like us. Our enemies need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is this gospel? I'd be remiss if I went through the whole message telling you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't define it clearly. The best definition is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And I want to give you the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. 
And this is why I'm excited to minister in California, because it doesn't matter how bad California may seem to you or to me. It doesn't matter how far down the road of socialism and debauchery this, this, this state goes. In fact, the worse things get, the greater God's grace to overcome sin. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Yes, there are easier places to preach. Yes, there are some places in the United States with a, with a firmer grasp of reality because they've not yet abandoned God the way California has. But somebody's got to come here. Somebody's got to stay here. Somebody's got to preach the gospel to the Californians as well. I was talking with someone just recently. This was in the last couple of days. Their child was thinking, their, their adult uh, child was thinking about going to a location in the United States. And another Christian, oh, you don't want to go there. It's too evil. Oh, stop, stop. There's no place that is too evil for God's grace. I, I'm, I'm becoming to think, I, I'm getting to the point, I think some of us Christians, we don't really believe God's word is powerful enough. Somehow we got to find a compound and we're going to build up walls high enough and we're going to keep all the evil out. Let me tell you where the evil is. It's in your heart and it's in my heart. And you can't build up walls high enough to keep the evil out. What you can do is turn to Jesus Christ. And he gives us the grace and he gives, the Holy Spirit gives us a leading to avoid sin. I don't care if it's in California. I don't care if it's in New York City. Just talked to someone this week. They were saved and baptized in New York City. Can you believe that? Amen. Guillermo, can you believe that? Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter. We need Christians everywhere. We need Christians in San Francisco. We need Christians in Portland. Sorry, I'm getting to preaching here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Here's the gospel that saves people, delivers people, it rescues people, by which also you are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Here's the gospel, verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Let me focus on four things. Number one, Christ died. Christ died. The first aspect of the gospel that's mentioned in this is that Christ died. But the second one is that Christ died for our sins. I've mentioned that word several times, and I think we think of sin as the bad stuff that other people do. Sin is anything I think, anything I say, or anything I do that breaks God's law. I never have to do anything wrong to break God's law. I can think it. I can harbor it in my heart. I can say it. And the Bible says, for all have sinned. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And because we are sinners, Christ had to die for our sins, in the place of me, in the place of you. Jesus didn't die to show us a good example. Jesus died because we could never pay the penalty for our sins. Never. Not in a million years. In fact, the longer we live, the deeper we get into sin. Christ died for our sins. Number two. Number three. 
Christ died for our sins, it says, according to the scriptures. This reminds us that God is faithful. That hundreds of years before Jesus came, God the Father had his prophets write down that there would be a suffering Savior who would die for our sins. And just like God was faithful over hundreds of years, and, and now over thousands of years, God is faithful that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, not you can hope for, not you can increase your chances by 25%. No, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. He's faithful. But I don't want to leave it there because it also says that Jesus rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus is alive. Now, sometimes I say this to people and they're a little bit surprised. You mean you believe a dead man came back to life? Yes, yes. And it's even better than that. He's coming again. And he's coming back on a white horse. You say, why white? Because that's what the Bible says. What, what do you believe in? And often it's like, I don't know. Listen, they have no hope. You have hope. You have the gospel. You have it right here. Christ died. He died for us. We are sinners. We deserve the, the penalty of the lake of fire. But God sent his son. Because God loved us, he sent his son that we don't have to perish. Number three, God's faithful. He predicted that, that Jesus Christ would die. Jesus Christ died. Now God tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And number four, Christ rose again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. This is the gospel that we need to get out to other people. I'm speaking to myself. We need to get it out when we're standing in line at the grocery store. We have people in our church today because they heard about our church in line at the grocery store. We need to get this gospel out when we're pumping gas and there's someone standing next to us. We need to get this gospel out to our neighbor. I hope you wave at your neighbor. I hope you're friendly, but find out what their name is and get them the gospel. We need to get this gospel out at work. The places where we work. Maybe you belong to a, a club or a social group. Maybe you have an exercise group you get together with. Those people need the gospel. The reason I'm excited to live and serve and work here in California is because if there was a state in the union that needs the gospel, it's California. And I get to be a part of that. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but just about every week you're seeing people whose lives, in fact, you don't realize it, but every week you're seeing people whose lives are impacted by the gospel. Every week you come together, we're singing God's praises. There are trophies of God's grace in this room with you. Now you're number one. I get that. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I I'm, I I'm a trophy of God's grace. But look around you. We're all trophies of God's grace. We're all God taking us from that miry clay and putting our feet on a rock. I don't know where I would be if I was not a Christian, but it would not be in a good place. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have the grace of God, but it wouldn't be in a better place in life. And our state needs the gospel. What are you doing to get out the message of the gospel? Is there something else that you've substituted for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you hoping for more people who look like us to move to California? I'm not. I want to see the Californians that are here changed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're a Christian and you've bought into the godless culture. You've bought, you, you've bought into the reprobate mind thinking and you're not even thinking according to scripture. How would you know? This is how you, you would know. You've either quit reading your Bible or when you read the Bible, you say, well, that can't be right. I don't think it works that way. If you find yourself saying that, you've bought into the reprobate mind thinking. Maybe you come this morning and you're not even a Christian. Or you're not sure you're a Christian. You know, you hope you're a Christian. You, you, you came thinking, you know, it'd be nice to be a Christian. I can tell you today, I can tell you that today you can leave knowing that you're a Christian. In fact, God wants you to know you're a Christian. He doesn't want you to wonder or think or hope. He wants you to know that you're a Christian. And that's why it tells us that the gospel of Christ is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. Not to most people who believe. Not to some who believe, to everyone who believes. You can be one of those who is in that category of everyone that believes. We're going to give an invitation in a few minutes, and I want you to respond. You can respond right where you're at. But if you do not know that your sins are forgiven, you don't, you're not sure that you're a Christian, you've never had that grace of God work you over so that your life is changed like our Japanese enemy, Fuchida, like the American POW, DeCesar, you can have that today. The grace of God is not ended. The period to receive God's grace is not over. I'd encourage you to come to the front and talk to me. I'd like to match you up with someone who will take a Bible and show you that you can know you can have eternal life. Know that your sins are forgiven. There's a couple of you who are with us this morning. That's happened to you recently and you've not let Elmira Baptist Church know yet. I want to encourage you today to come to the front during our time of invitation, I'll know why you're coming and I'll just introduce you and say, hey, this person right here has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and it's changed their life. If you'd like to become a member of our church, now is the time. I'm going to ask Christy to come to the piano. She's going to start playing her invitation hymn. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask her to play through it one time. Give you a chance to respond right where you're at. What is it that God's doing in your life? Do you need to come this morning to find out what it is to have your sins forgiven and have eternal life, to know that you are a Christian? Have you become a Christian and you need to let Amira Baptist Church know so we can rejoice with you? Father, we come to this invitation. I know there are some people who need to respond and I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts, work in my heart. I know there are Christians that we've given up on our culture. We've given up on our state. We think it's just so far gone and we're just hoping we can hold on till the end. Father, would you forgive us? Stir us up. Give us that renewed faith, that, that, that confidence that your gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And to be bold in our proclamation of truth and bold in our giving truth out to others. And Lord, I thank you for the trophies of your grace that you've gathered this morning, this afternoon. We pray that you continue to do an amazing work in Fairfield, in Vacaville, in Elmira, in Dixon, through your Holy Spirit 
and your amazing grace. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.